Good morning, this is The Math Factor, and I'm Haim Goodman-Strauss, and I have the very special privilege of being in Leah Warden, approximately, Holland, the birth town of the great graphic artist M.C. Escher, and I'm actually in a gallery filled with original M.C. Escher prints, and with me, sitting at my side, is none other than Doris Schottschneider, a world authority on the life and work of M.C. Escher. Good morning, Doris. Thank you for joining us. Good morning, Kaim. I'm glad to be here. So, um, I don't know. It's just sort of overwhelming, actually, <laughs> seeing all of this. I just thought I'd ask you uh, maybe what one of your favorites of, among the prints that are around us. Uh, of the prints that are around us, uh, the two, actually, the favorite prints are Sky and Water and Day and Night. So we have to rely on the familiarity, the massive familiarity of, our, of the world with M.C. Escher's work. Day and night is, of course, a pair of a sort of two flocks of geese flying through each other, one into the day. White geese flying into the night and black geese flying into the day. Right. They're flying over mirror image Dutch villages, uh, the, the daylight village with a uh, river flowing through it, uh, and the mirror image uh, at night. Uh, the night side is on the right, the day side is on the left. Uh, there's all kinds of things going on in this print. Uh, that's probably why it is my favorite. It must have been the world's favorite as well because Escher made more copies of this uh, in the sense of original prints that he hand rubbed uh, than any other. Uh, I learned from the curator of the Escher Museum in The Hague today that Escher actually in his lifetime made over 650 prints of this. Personally? Personally, on each the one by hand. Each one was made by uh, uh, inking a woodblock, uh, rubbing with a tiny ivory spoon the paper on top of the woodblock, taking it off, doing it again on a second woodblock for the second color, uh, getting perfect registration and so on. Yeah, the registration alone is, you know, that's something that's so hard to remember about M.C. Escher's work. I mean, it's so ubiquitous in some sense. It was so successful that it's hard to see it as, an, as original work now, you know, and certainly to remember that it was handmade and handcrafted. Uh, some of Escher's work uh, is lithographs, uh, and lithography, of course, is a, is a commercial process. Those were the only ones that were not made directly by him. He, of course, engraved the, st uh, the lithostone, and uh, he had a very trusted lithographer who would run them off uh, in limited edition. Those are the only ones that are actually numbered, by the way. Oh, really? So uh, all of the woodcuts are unnumbered. That's why there's uh, a bit of uncertainty, at least, about how many copies were made of any given woodcut. Oh. You know, it's also amazing how small and delicate the prints are. You know, we're used to seeing them sort of blown up in large, coarse re reproductions. Mm -hmm. Um, Escher never, I, I think the day and night is one of the largest ones he made. Uh, that's probably about uh, 16 by uh, perhaps 24 or 28 yeah. inches. Uh, the others are, are more like um, 14 inches or 16 inches square or even smaller. And of course he was a master at very tiny vignettes. Right. There's a table here of small book plate sized pieces. Mm-hmm. But his, his craftsmanship was superb. Um, when you look at these, uh, it's hard to believe that this is a print made from carved wood. Yes, it really is. 
One thing you discussed today um, in your lecture, I mean, it just sort of went by incidentally, but he was working up to, up through World War II in Holland, That's unoccupied correct. Holland. Mm -hmm. Do you know anything about his time? Did well, I, I know a few things about it. I don't know a whole lot about it. Uh, if you notice, his carved wooden balls were done during the war. At that time, uh, Netherlands, the Netherlands was occupied by the Nazis. Life was very, very tense, to say the least. Um, and uh, when Escher wanted to take his mind off of things, he would carve. And so his uh, sphere with fish, for example, yeah. is, was made in that period. Uh, another thing, which is a rather tragic event that happened and affected him deeply, was that his uh, graphic arts teacher, uh, where he had taken his instruction in Harlem, uh, lived in the Netherlands. He was a Sephardic Jew. Hmm. Uh, this is Samuel Jesseron de Mesquita. And he was convinced that because uh, he was of a special variety, if you wish, of Jew, that he would be spared. In fact, he, uh, he was promised that these mm -hmm. were protected. These Jews were protected. But of course, it made no difference. Right. And um, one day, Escher went up to visit his old teacher in his studio, and all he found was an empty studio um, the prints of his teachers scattered all around and Nazi boot prints on oh. some of them. Oh. And he gathered them up and he literally took his life in his hands because he gathered up all he could, uh, put them in a folio and went by train back to his home. And in fact, uh, his teacher, uh, de Mesquita, and his family all were shipped off to concentration camps and to their death. Hmm. That was in 1944. Wow. Do you think that, in some way, his work, M.C. Escher's work, seems sort of very abstract and impersonal? Do you think that, do you see um, his personal life and his personal emotions in his work? Not in his prints. He made a few very touching and very personal uh, drawings uh, of family members. His father, for example, there's a beautiful portrait of him. Uh, he made a portrait of his baby son when he was born for a birth announcement. Uh, he made, I, I take that back, he did make the beautiful print yeah. of Yetta and the, the two of them after they were married. Intertwined. Like, yeah, that's a remarkable print. And, and so that's about as personal as he got. Um, I think that he was a man who, although he was not without emotion, uh, did not express this in his work. He certainly was not without emotion. He, uh, his son George, his eldest son, has very fond memories of him taking walks in the woods and, and being a good father and so on. But right. Let me ask a, a favorite loaded question, mm -hmm. which I know how Escher would have answered this. You might even see what, what's coming up. But do you think of Escher as a mathematician, or at least a naive mathematician? I do. I absolutely do, and maybe that's one of the messages I try to get across. Escher, of course, denied hotly that he was a mathematician, that he could understand mathematics or do mathematics. Uh, that's his own view of it. But he had a view of mathematics, the kind of mathematics you get uh, typically in grade school and high school, which was mostly calculations, mostly symbols, mostly equations. And the only mathematics course he had that he said he liked and did okay in was, in fact, in his senior year in high school, 
and that was a solid geometry oh, course. <laughs> that figures. That was a solid well, geometry as, course. I mean, so your book, Visions of Symmetry, mm -hmm. um, takes a great, I, I mean, the bulk, the main thesis of the book, I should think, is the, to show how his, in his notebooks he enumerated various kinds of symmetry types. Mm -hmm. And um, so clearly he was capable of carrying out mathematical but, investigations. But this was on his own terms. There's no right. question about it. Um, I, I tried to kind of get, literally get inside of his head because he was not using mathematicians' notation. Uh, he was not asking the questions the way mathematicians were at that time. Mm -hmm. He was not analyzing. He was not saying, here's a, a pattern, uh, what are its symmetries? Right. He was not doing that at all. The question he was asking was, how can I characterize the shape of a tile that I know will fill the plane in a regular way right. that is surround, uh, it's, every tile is surrounded in the same manner? And uh, that was his question. And that question was not really being asked by crystallographers. Crystallographers wanted to analyze right. and classify Escher wanted to create. Right. So it's the other side of the right. coin. And of course the crystallographers and the mathematicians need people like Escher to generate the, uh, the well, stuff to study in a well, sense. Although, although he created his own system and he discovered a great deal and I've actually cross-referenced it with uh, mathematician's work Heinrich Heche, uh, Heche's work is the closest to Escher's in the sense of the way the question was asked. So I wanted, yeah, that's something, mm -hmm. I'm glad you brought that up. So did Escher know of Heche's work at all? He no. had no idea who no, he was. No, I, I in fact discovered correspondence in the Escher archive in The Hague because I asked the same question. And uh, there was Escher correspondence in The Hague. Uh, there was a letter from Heche to Escher. Uh, although Heche was doing his work in the 1930s mm -hmm. for many reasons, a lot of it having to do with the war. It did not get published until 1965. Mm -hmm. But in any case, um, here was this letter from Heche to Escher uh, saying that, uh, telling him about his book and uh, saying he would like to send it to him. And uh, Escher basically replied that um, he probably wouldn't understand it anyway, and he basically brushed it off. Mm. But that told me that he didn't until that time, even know of Heche, right. certainly didn't know of Heche's work. Right. And uh, but as I say, among mathematicians, Heche is the only one I know of who asked the question in a way like Escher did. Right. Well, <laughs> thank you, Doris. This is a wonderful treat to uh, to be able to talk to you about M. C. Escher's work here in his birth town, among real prints of his work. So thank you very much. You're welcome. Nice to be here.